Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pits of Motor Chaos. This is yours, Dave. Goliath Gal- Michigan's Drag Racer, Jeff Malnick. How you doing, Jeff? Good. How you doing tonight, Dave? Not bad at all. So, weather's about, you know, about 70 here in Wisconsin, but after today, the weather's going to be dropping, so. Yeah, I'm in Ohio. It's a pretty similar forecast. We're supposed to get some rain tomorrow from the hurricane. After that, this is about our last good weather of the year, I think. Yeah. So how how was your uh, 2022 drag race season? Uh, everything went pretty well. Um, we mainly campaigned my car in the PDRA circuit uh, for top sportsmen with the goal of you know competing for a championship in the uh, 32 car top sportsman side. We don't ever really make the elite 16. Um, we ended up finishing fourth in that, uh, just one point out of third, but. The goal was obviously to be first, so third, fourth is all the same kind. It's not first, so uh, still overall pretty happy. Uh, some missed opportunities with it, but the car's running well. And I feel like I was driving pretty decent. And uh, just towards the end of the season, I got asked to drive another gentleman's car in uh, 632 class. So the last event in Virginia, we ran both cars and learned a lot in the 632 class, and we did pretty well. Won a couple rounds and. Uh, we're going to run that car next year too so we got something to look forward to for 2023 now for your car are you going to do any uh changes to the car over the off season no my car is pretty much uh we got it pretty figured out now um we've changed a lot of stuff on it in the last five years or so to get it pretty dialed in and now it's, it's really good i mean it's really consistent and uh that's the main thing. I, you know, once you get it good, you gotta leave it alone, and then you can start building data. So we collect data every time we make a run, uh, basically from the race pack and the weather station, and that way, in the future, you're getting similar air, similar track conditions. You know what the car is gonna run. If you made ten changes since then, then you don't know what it's gonna run, and you kind of said guess. And the problem with top sportsmen and PDRA, if you're off a hundredth or two, you're going home. So you got to be dead nuts. So you want to tell us a little bit about your car? Yeah, my car, uh, it's a Dodge Avenger body. Um, it's a double frame rail, vanishing point uh, design chassis that I built myself with my dad. Uh, probably 10, 15 years ago now. It's been a while. Uh, but we've been running the car. We started bracket racing with it. And learn how to drag race basically um doing that going like eights with it and then we eventually kept stepping it up more and more we started playing nitrous and started going high sevens and then mid sevens low sevens and then uh, this pro charge deal started taking off we got a pretty good deal on a, a used motor and a pro charger setup so we put that in it and started from the ground up with that deal and had to figure out timing is a lot to do with boosted motors and uh, the fuel systems have come a long way over the last couple of years, but it's on alcohol. It's got an APD blow-through carburetor, and they've made many strides in uh, their program also, so it's made it much easier on our end. So converter, uh, we've been through a bunch of converters, but we ended up with an FTI. It's been really good for us, and the car is very consistent. It's repeatable, and for the power that it makes, it's very low maintenance. So it's good. So you're happy with the Pro Charge? I can't really say anything bad about it. I mean, um, I know a lot of the 
these bigger pro chargers break a lot on like pro mods and stuff, but those guys are really leaning on them hard. Mine's an F3 121, and we really don't spin it all that hard, but we do spin it so it's efficient. And that was something else I had to learn too, is that these blowers, they have a certain speed where they like to turn. And if you're under that, then they can get drastic swings with the weather. So um, that was one of the problems I had early on with the pro-charging stuff was we had a little bigger blower and we were spinning it slower and we were still going the same speed but if the air got good it would go really fast if the air got bad it'd go really slow and it's like what is wrong with this thing so once you get the blower smaller and then spin it a little bit harder um, still make the same boost and still go the same speed but it does it a lot more consistently and that was something to learn from uh, Patrick Barnhill told me that so so what kind of tires are you running on the car? Uh, the best time we've been eighth mile, we've been 410 at 181. Um, and quarter mile, we've been 640 at 220. So what do you prefer, quarter mile or eighth mile? Um, I just like racing. Um, honestly, the last two years, we've done really nothing but eighth mile with it. I just feel like 640 at 220 is fast like i'm i'm 38 years old um i'm not old not that old but i remember like growing up seeing the pro mod guys going like 620s and i thought wow these guys are insane going 620s in a door car and now i'm going 640s in a door car and the quarter mile races are usually nhra and you know you win a divisional it's like 1500 bucks and it's like we're beating our car to death running quarter mile on it, going 220 miles an hour on sometimes tracks that aren't prepared that great. And uh, it just doesn't make that much sense to me. So we said, well, let's chase the eighth mile stuff. We like PDRA. They treat us really well. Tyler and Tommy and all the people over there are great. And the tracks are always phenomenal. Um, and it's just less wear and tear. Less, you know, we're still going 180 in the eighth, so it's not like it's slow. But, um, you know, that last eighth is a little bit sketchy, I guess, in the seat when you're doing, you're doing quarter mile going that fast. So trying to bracket race too is tough going that fast, I guess. If you're just hanging on, it's one thing. But when you're trying to figure out the finish line at 220, yeah, it's a little, a little hard to look in the mirror <laughs> when you're trying to not crash and worried about the thing blowing up. And, like some of the tracks you run, like Columbus, the shutdown is very bumpy. So you go through the finish line, you pull the parachutes, they open, and you bounce over these bumps, and then you get on the brakes and slow down. Well, if the chutes don't open for whatever reason, you can't hit the brakes because you're literally bouncing off the ground. And it's not just my car. Everybody's car does it. They run stop sportsman. That's why there's a lot of wrecks in Columbus when you run quarter mile. So, you know, you're just kind of rolling the dice every pass you make, and it's just not worth it for 1500 bucks. If you paid ten grand, i would probably be there. Yeah. So now, Jeff, what kind of tires are you running on the car? Uh, we've, we switched. We used to run a Mickey um, Thompson, the Little Bubba's, and um, that was all I could really fit in the car with the current rain setup. So when we started going faster, we decided to put a floater under the, the back of the car, and I did so, and I made it so that I could fit a much bigger tire under it, made it a little more narrow, and uh, now we run the uh, Hoosier 17 34 fives and they've been fantastic we get uh 
good life out of them. And I don't think I've ever had to abort a run since we switched to those tires. And it's been probably three or four years. So it's been really good. So now what are some of your favorite tracks to race on? Uh, Norwalk is a, a close-by track. It's two hours from home, so that's always one of our favorites. Dragway 42 is another local track that's just phenomenal. The surface is just great, and uh, the amount of work they've done at the facilities is awesome. But as far as the whole uh, East Coast goes where we raced, I would say Galat is very, very nice, and uh, Virginia Motorsports Park got to be two of my favorite tracks to go to. I don't like to drive to them, though, but I like that when we're there. Right. No, do you have any sponsorships, Jeff? Not really, no. Me and my dad pretty much do this whole deal um, on our own. We really don't get much help from anybody. I used to have a, a local um, auto parts store. He would help me out, but he moved and sold the business. So, yeah, just pretty much me and him doing our thing. So who are all the crew members? Yeah, mainly just me and dad. Uh we, we handle 99% of it. My wife and my two kids, they try and come to some of the more local stuff, but they're young. They're six and nine years old, so it's tough to drag them to, you know, a race that's 12 hours away. They've got school, and all, they all do all kinds of sports and stuff, plus my wife works. So a lot of the time it's just Dad and I hitting the road, and uh, we handle pretty much everything. So Dad's the crew chief? Yeah, you could say so. He's he's the reason I'm doing all this crap, mainly. He uh, he was my biggest inspiration, I guess, and in why I got into drag racing. So he loves it. gives him something to do. He's retired now. So uh, I work full-time at his shop, at his house, uh, working on race cars and building headers. So I get to see him a lot, which is awesome. And then we go racing together. So can't beat it. So, so Dad used to race? Yeah, my dad grew up, uh, well, I should say my dad didn't grow up racing, but he he started racing in, like, mid the 1970s, and then um, by, like, mid-1980s, he was doing pretty well, and he won a few track championships, and uh, he had a guy give him a car to drive and stuff like that, and I just remember growing up, you know, all my buddies had dads who would, like, go golfing, and I'm like, my dad drives a race car, like, my dad's so cool, like, I just thought it was awesome. So that was kind of why I just got into motorsports in general. And I, I started out racing four-wheelers, doing motocross with four-wheelers. And after a few broken bones um, and a few concussions and stuff, you, you kind of slow down a little bit on that deal. And, and I, I was good, but I wasn't like I was going to be a professional at it, you know. So um, I thought, well, I've always wanted to drag race. We started building uh, building my car, and I'm a welder for a living, so I thought it would be a fun project for us to do to build something like that. We built it, and then um, just started running it ever since, and keep nibbling at it every year. And the car's been doing great for a homemade car to go as fast as we're going. I don't think there's very many people out there that could say in Top Sportsman that they've built their own car and it goes as fast as we do. So that's really cool to do on a separate note as far as like you get rewarding you're a rewarding feeling by winning as a driver but you also get rewarding feeling knowing you built the car too now what what year did you start drag racing jeff oh it had to be 2004 i guess 2005 some of that range so how was your first time experience going on a drag ship first time going on this trip it was in my car um 
Well, I guess I did warm up my dad's car one time. He, his car went like 860s or something in the quarter mile. And he let me just put it around, and I just putted it down the drag strip. And I remember just like giving a little bit of gas. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. So that kind of like set the hook in me. And then um, the first pass uh, in my car, it was a brand-new car. So it was like, well, I'm a brand-new driver, brand-new car. Let's not do anything stupid. And I just went up there and just kind of drove it down the track and shifted the gears, made sure nothing fell off and nothing leaked and came back. Okay, let's let's start actually trying to run it. And we had a, a big block Mopar in it at the time, uh, and it went – I think the best we went with that was like 860, 865, something like that. So at first we had it kind of tamed down. We went like mid nines and uh, it felt very smooth. I remember it wasn't, it didn't have much of a sensation of speed at all as I thought it would. So we just kept going faster and faster. And even now uh, it really doesn't seem all that fast. Like when we run, it's, it seems like I could go faster. So I guess it's a good thing. Now, did you have any nervous nervousness at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're terrified, you know. I had a lot of people tell me, building the car, they laughed at me, and they were like, what do you know about building a race car? Dude, you're just some young kid. You're going to build some pile of crap. This isn't going to work, blah, blah, blah. So I used that for kind of motivation, and uh, I just tried to make it as best as I could. And you're never going to build anything perfect, but if you try to make it perfect and it's off by – a little bit then it's the best you could do you know so that's the way we approached it we didn't have a timeline on when we were going to have the car done we just said we're going to build it and when it's done it's done and uh, the best we can on it and it's even to this day as fast as we go now we don't have any preload in it we don't have any rear steer in it we don't have any weight on the car so the car is pretty much neutral as far as the floor length goes and uh, it goes right down the track no matter where we go now, besides your dad being your uh, big influence for drag racing, any other drag racers that influenced you? Um, other influences, I guess, I had for motorsport stuff. Like, I grew up, um, I played a lot of sports growing up. I did baseball, football, basketball, that stuff. And then I always just felt like the motocross people were just really cool. Like, back in the early 2000s, you had, like, Travis Pastrana and, um, Brian Deacon and all these people like that and the X Games were just starting and I really liked that whole that whole scene you know so uh, we had VHS tapes back then before DVDs and everything now and I remember I had some tapes that were like motocross tapes it was one of the steel roots and the one was called uh, Huevos Grandes and Terra Firma I wore these tapes out like I watched them Every day I could, I just idolized this stuff, and that just got me so, so involved in motorsports. I went to uh, Motorcycle Mechanics Institute uh, out of high school. I moved to Orlando, Florida, went down there and worked on bikes, got all factory certified to be a motorcycle mechanic. And after that, I went to Lincoln Electric in Cleveland, learned how to weld. Um, because I thought, you know what, it, it goes into motorsports too. So I got my mechanical stuff done, I got my welding stuff done, and then I went to work building custom choppers uh, for Evil Knievel. So I worked for him for nine years. We built custom bikes. Uh, I did welding and fabrication uh, from the ground up on all the bikes, wiring, uh, dyno testing, all that stuff on them. And then that whole scene kind of faded. So uh, when that faded away, I thought, well, 
I guess I got to get a real job. So I went to work uh, in the well, like the pipeline welding out in the field, like literally laying in the snow welding. It sucked. So I froze all winter long doing that one year. Made good money, but it just wasn't me. You know, I was like, this, this just isn't what I want to do with my life. So kept working uh, after hours. I would do side jobs on race cars so i would build a set of wheelie bars or headers or put a cage in or whatever for someone so i'd get up at like 5 a.m go to work all day come home from work uh go to the shop from six till midnight come home get a shower go to bed get up at five and do it again i did that for five six seven years and uh, eventually i built up uh, tools and equipment and a reputation and it got to the point where I finally said, you know what, I've got so much work coming in for race car stuff that I'm turning more of it away than I'm actually able to do. So maybe I should try and go out on my own. And, and I don't really have to have a big investment because I already have a lot of the equipment. I have the shop, things to do it in. Uh, my wife was able to get insurance benefits for me and the kids. So I said, yeah, let's do it. So I quit my job about four years ago. and. Ever since, I've been full-time at Exotic Fabrication, building headers and custom fabrications and welding for drag cars. No, you, you never got into watching the NHRA at all when you were younger, younger? Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad, like I said, he was into drag racing uh, my whole childhood, and then he eventually quit drag racing uh, when I was probably... 10 or so because i was starting to do a lot of sports so his dad passed away when he was like seven years old so he didn't want to miss out on my childhood so he was racing four nights a week you know so he was like you know what i'm just gonna park this race car thing and enjoy my my kids while they're young and then uh i always bugged him though i'm like dad you gotta get that race car back out you know so i did the whole like you know teenage years of playing sports and was really into baseball and things and then uh, the love for the motocross came in, and I started doing that. And guy bugged him and bugged him, like, you got to get that car out. And he started racing his car again back when I was probably 17. So we always watched NHRA, John Force, uh, you know, growing up watching the pro stock guys, Larry Morgan. And, and now, like, it's, it's surreal because I have, like, Larry Morgan's a friend of mine now, and I do work for him. Like, he'll call me up and say, hey, Jeff, I need to set headers. I'm just like... This is just crazy. Like he comes to the shop, and I'm just like, like a schoolgirl, just like all giddy, like, oh my god, Larry Morgan's coming, you know. <laughs> and he's just the, the nicest guy on the planet. And he's like, oh, dude, I'm not, I'm nobody special. Don't, don't think I'm anything crazy. I'm like, dude, I grew up watching you, like, you know, every weekend, and now you're in my shop, standing here, wanting me to build you, build your headers. It's like this is just wild. Now it comes full circle. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, now, Jeff, when you get out there in the staging lanes, do you have any previous rituals or superstitions at all? Um, I usually try, I usually go to the staging lanes in shorts. Like, I started doing that when I was bracket racing. So, like, my fire suit and everything's in the car. And that's the only real thing I always do is I always like to go to the lanes just in my shorts. And then I just put my fire suits on when I get in the lanes and get ready to go. Other than that, um... PDRA, they have a few um, ladies come around in the lanes and, and they'll like say a prayer with you before you get in the car. I always try to do that. 
other than that, no, not too many superstitions. I don't like to have too many. Um, I always look at that stuff like it could be a weakness, you know. Like if you don't, if you don't do it, then that's why you lost. And I don't want to have any of that, you know. I don't want to be like, oh, I got to stage first, or I got to stage second. I'll stage whenever I want. And it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect me. It's not going to get in my head. Um, you know, if the guy wants to go in there and put two bolts on before I've done my burnout, I'm going to laugh. Be like, okay, it's not going to not going to bother me. We're going to get in there and do our thing and do the best we can. Now, to design the car, is that a wrap or a paint job? That's all paint. Now, what yeah, is what, had the car? What is that creature supposed to be on the car, on the hood? It basically, like I said, when I was uh, building the motorcycles. Um, in the early 2000s, we had a guy painting a lot of our bikes, and he did all these crazy graphics on them and stuff. His name was Steve Shizaka. Everyone knows him as the Wizard. And uh, he was at the shop one day dropping off some tanks and fenders, and I just told him, hey, I'm building this race car, you know. I didn't even think about having him paint it because I knew I couldn't afford it. I'm like, you know, I, I see how much these paint jobs are for a motorcycle. I'm sure a car is going to cost way more. So we start talking about it, and he's like, we were pretty good friends because, you know, we did a lot of work together with the motorcycle shop. And uh, he goes, you know what? He goes, I'll help sponsor your car. He's like, you know, I'll, I'll do a paint job on it if you just pay for the paint and the materials and I'll just front everything else. I was like, dude, that'd be amazing. So that following winter, uh, we got the car finished up, basically. We took it over to him and him and uh, Carl Beckett from Beckett Body Works. Carl did all the base work, uh, the sanding, buffing, all that stuff, base coat, clear coat. And then Steve, he's like, I'm just going to put a monster on this thing, breathing fire down the car. Like, that sounds awesome. Like, that's cool. I don't care. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you got the vision and you're the artist. Do it. Everything's going to be cool. And he did that. And I went over and looked at it. I'm like, well, this is sick. So he clear coated it. And. That's it. So it's just basically just a big monster breathing fire down the car. Because I always liked Scotty Cannon's cars, like when he was driving funny cars. Uh, that Oakley car it had like a big professor, a big mad scientist on it. I always thought that was just wild and crazy. So that was uh, what we came up with on it. And it's been pretty well received. Even now, it's been 15 years. I still get so many people. We're in the staging lanes. Uh, coming over with their cell phone, taking a picture of it, you know, so it makes you feel good that this thing's lasted this long and it's still that many people think it's kind of cool. Yeah, it does. It looks awesome. Yeah, I know everybody asks too, is that a wrap? So no, it's all paint. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that guy, he's very talented. It only took him like a day or two to do all the graphics on it. Like it didn't take a week or a month like he did it like nothing like he was talking to me while he was doing it like it gets amazing to watch the guy paint wow so now um what, what's been your fondest memory of uh drag racing so far jeff um obviously the wins are special um I would say just spending time with my family, you know, I mean, we're doing this together as kind of a father and son team. Um, the memories you make along the way, uh, you know, trying to accomplish something in this sport is definitely cool. Um, I'd love to win a world championship in it would be amazing. Um, I'm driving this car now for this, uh, Alan O'Brien is his name out of West Virginia in the 632 class. And, uh, I know it would mean a lot to him if we can do well in that class because he's got an AMC motor in the car. 
and him and his dad raced together for forever and ever. His dad passed away about a year ago, and uh, this AMC motor deal that he's got, I mean, they build their own billet blocks, billet heads. It's all custom stuff that they've been R&Ding for 40 years. So uh, to take it to the 632 class is kind of like the highest class you could run something like this you know what i mean like you're never going to run it in pro stock you have to have a hemi or something so this 632 class is like where this thing could potentially do well and i know it would mean the world to him if we could do well and win some races and maybe compete for a title next year in the 632 class with that car now do you have a fondest fondest race that you ran so far um any any race you can win is a good race, you know. I mean, just any time you're able just to put it all together. Um, I'd probably say my biggest win was the I, I won a a Jegs Door Slammer Nationals race down in Columbus when we were still bracket racing with my car. Um, it was eighth mile. We were going like five thirties, and it was just a big money bracket race. It paid eight thousand dollars to win, and. Um, I won the whole main event on Saturday with my car. We went nine rounds. I didn't have to buy back. And every round, something broke, though. Like, you make a run, okay, the water pump quit. Okay, crap, the car's overheating. Get it back to the pits, tear it apart, put a new water pump in it. They're calling you to the lanes. You hurry up. You don't even get a drink of water. Go to the lanes. Don't even know what to dial it. You, you go up there, you win that round, and you're just something else is falling off the car now. Okay, we got to come back and fix it. Why is this break? You know, the battery's dead or whatever. Just that's how that day went. And it almost, it almost seems to help you stay more focused in the moment uh, of drag racing because there's always something wrong and your adrenaline's always up versus the days where you make a run and you got four hours to go sit in the air-conditioned motorhome and then go back out and make another run where you're just so disconnected from what happened four hours ago. So that's probably my biggest uh, win was that day. And it just was one of those days where you couldn't do nothing wrong. So everything went my way and we won, I think, nine rounds and won the whole deal. But that was, I think, 2012. So it's been a while. But since then, we've started running the top sportsman. It's been fun. We've gotten a few wins here and there along the way. Uh, lots of runner-ups and semifinals and uh, just you know, missed opportunities here and there, but I think we're, we're right there. And I think that, you know, winning a championship is a lot like climbing a ladder. So the championship would be like stepping onto the roof and there's no other way to get onto the roof other than climbing the ladder. You can't, you can't just jump onto the roof from the ground. You have to climb the ladder. So I think I'm on one of the end steps. Like I got maybe one or two more steps to go on that ladder and I could hopefully step off onto the roof. So, uh, you can't quit now. You just got to keep keep going and keep trying. Keep on climbing, Jeff. That's all we're trying to do, man. Just keep your head down and keep focused, and you can't win these races at home. So even though diesel fuel is outrageous and uh, things are going on with the country that really aren't that great for traveling around trying to drag race an expensive car, um, we're not rich. You know, I, I'm, I'm a welder for, for a living, uh, so... To do this stuff is definitely taxing on everyone, not just me and my dad, but, you know, my wife works, the kids, uh, you know, you're gone from home and people have to step up and babysit. You know, there's there's more to it than meets the eye. So um, I appreciate everybody in my, my corner that helps me and allows me to 
pursue this stuff and chase my dreams, but it also, it goes hand in hand with my business too. So the more racing I go to, the better I do racing, the more people see me, the more people want me to work on their car and build headers. So it kind of goes hand in hand and it's, it's been, uh, been great. The last four years have been great. So have you reached any milestones in your drag racing career so far? I mean, I never thought I would run top sportsman. I mean, literally, I, I can remember thinking to myself when I built my car, like, we started building it just to be a bracket car because that's all we could do, that's all we could afford, and that's all we ever done. So it was like, okay, we just can go to bracket car. Well, when you're building it, it was like, okay, you can make it out of mild steel. Well, I'm going to TIG weld it anyways. Well, if you're going to TIG weld it, you might as well make it out of chromoly. Oh, okay. Well, if you're going to make it out of chromoly, you might as well make it a double frame rail car. Oh, okay. So it, that's just how everything went. Like, if you're going to buy this racking pinion for 300 you could buy the billet one for 500 Well, give me the billet one. And you just nibble at it that way with that mentality. And before you know it, you got a car that's like, this really isn't a bracket car. <laughs> like, we built basically a top sportsman car but we don't have the budget to run top sportsman and even when i built my car it was done i recognized this but i was still like i'm still never going to be able to afford to run real top sportsman and like compete for any sort of real championship so just to be out there and competing is it makes me grateful um and happy just to be out there and then the competitive side of me is like you know what we're here we're going to try our hardest and we're here to win. We're not just here to like qualify and make some noise and go home and go fast. We want to win. So any event that we go to where we don't win is looked at almost as not going to say a failure, but uh, disappointment, you know, it's like, ah, oh, man, we didn't win, you know? So you go through the stages of it where you're happy just to make a pass in the beginning and then you're happy just to win a round and then you're happy to win three rounds and then you're happy to just to go to the semis. Now we're at the point where it's like, if you don't win the event, there's this disappointment feeling when you're driving home. Like, man, we screwed that up. We'll try again next week, you know? Yeah. So, so now, Jeff, what do you, what do you enjoy most about being a drag racer? sound weird i guess but my wife's asked me this before too and i told her it's really not the racing it's it's the, it's everything leading up to the racing it's the anticipation of going and the thinking of what we're going to do and what's the car going to run and how's the weather going to be you know it's all that stuff that's just like always on your mind that keeps you like up at night that is the stuff I look forward to. It's like that nervous pit in your stomach, like when you pull up the driveway, like, okay, we're getting ready to go racing. This is going to be awesome. We're going to win the race. It's going to be amazing. Like that feeling is what keeps me going, I think, more so than like the speed or the competition, I guess, is cool too and fun um, up from that side of it. But you lose, you win and lose races by a thousandth of a second, you know? So you can't be, you can't get too caught up on like, you know, being that disappointed because you're double o two on the tree and the guy's double o one on the tree. Well, you did your best, um, but you just got to look forward to the next event and do your best again. Now, what about the camaraderie in drag racing? Oh yeah, I met, met so many people, um, especially through through working with people now and, and being having these people as customers and fellow racers. Um, I go through the pits and I'm always like saying hello to people and hi and waving. And I know that guy, this guy's going to call me. And it's just like, here's a big family. Everybody's just really nice uh, for the most part. I mean, you get a couple people here and there, but, you know, you don't get along 
with, but uh, for the most part, uh, drag racers are, are all great people. Yeah, because I've heard so many stories. I see you'll break something on a car, and you'll be going against whoever, and that person will give you some part if they have this part just so you can race them in the next round. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've had a lot of times, like, I bring a welder with me to the track, and uh, I brought it for my own personal, you know, in case I ever break something, I have a welder because I am a welder. So it's just common sense, right? So um, now that word has gotten out that I have a welder, uh, I get people all the time coming over the trailer, hey, man, can you weld my header for me? Hey, man, can you – I got a hole in my fuel cell or, or whatever. My wheelie bar broke. Yeah, man, sure, bring it over. So, like, I'll stop what I'm doing. Uh, I could be in the middle of getting my stuff ready for the next round, and I'm dragging the welder out, welding their stuff, and then I'm late to get to the lanes for my car. But uh, I do whatever I can to help everybody. And people always ask, well, what do you want? Like, you know, how much you want me to charge for doing this? I'm like, hey, whatever you want to give me is fine with me because that's what I always tell them. It's, it's up to you, whatever it's worth to you, for me to fix your car at the track here. Give me whatever you want, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 2 bucks, I don't care. Uh, I've had people give me, one guy gave me 100 bucks, and he cooked me and my dad both a steak dinner and, like, lobster mac and cheese. So it was like, wow, for a, for a little tiny cracked header, it's, it's pretty good. So Yeah. So is there anything that you hate about drag racing? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a very expensive sport to do this uh, at the level we're trying to compete at, and the cost of you know diesel fuel sucks. Um, traveling around these motorhomes that take a hundred gallons, it doesn't get you very far. Uh, you spend a thousand dollars or more every time you pull out the driveway just in fuel in the motorhome. So um, I wish it wasn't so expensive. Um, other than that, though, it wasn't for the cost of it. Um, no, there's really not much I, I don't miss or don't like about it. I mean, I guess you could say it's like waiting in line to ride a roller coaster. You know, you wait all day or you wait hours in line to for one 30-second ride. Well, same with drag racing. You work your butt off for a whole winter, a whole week, a whole month, whatever, and you get to the track just to wait your turn for a little four-second ride. So it's uh, you got to be perfect. You, know, you, you can't – this isn't like circle track racing where you can – pull into the pit stop and change the get a different set of tires on it and put a flat of preload in the spring or something and go back out there and improve. No, you're going to load your stuff up and go home and try again next time. So So now, Jeff, if you could change anything about uh, top sportsman drag racing, what would you want to change? I guess I'll expand top sportsman and top dragster together because it's basically the same thing. Just uh, one's a dragster, one's a door car. I don't really care for the 610 rule um, in NHRA. I wish they would do away with that because, especially top dragster, you got so many cars that can go well into the fives, you know, and these guys are lifting at the thousand foot and they're pulling timing and they're just doing all kinds of stuff to slow their cars down and go 610. That's basically turning into a 610 index class. So uh, I understand the concerns that they have with the reasons why they do it, but uh, maybe make it a thousand foot and say, cut them loose, you know, go as fast as you want. Uh, to the thousand foot there's no et restrictions maybe that would help the classes and it wouldn't be such a bottleneck there where number one qualifier is 610 and number 32 is 620 
you know, it's like you get a tent between 32 cars that can all go uh, basically 570s if they want. So I think they would bring back some of the excitement of it. Uh, one thing I would change on the PDRA side that I've talked to Tyler before about um, is, you know, if you go there and you run your junior, right, a junior dragster, these little kids, they come there, it's a 16-car field, and that's all it is. They can get 50 cars show up. It's still 16 cars. The other cars that don't qualify, the other 40 cars, they don't race. They're done. That's it. Load them up, go home, try next time. And these are little kids. You know, This is the future of the sport. Right. Top sportsmen, you show up there. If there's 48 cars, well, then it's a 16-car elite field and a 32-car second field. Well, if you have, like, 60 cars, well, now we're going to make it at least 16 and a 48-car second field. And then if you get 65 cars or whatever it is, then it's a 16-car elite field and a 64-car second field. It's like, why did they make the fields bigger for top sportsmen when you can go into bracket bash? Like, they have a separate class four non-qualifiers that can run so if you don't go fast enough you will go down and back and bash at least you can race something the, the little kids and juniors they're going home so top sportsmen should be looked at more of like an honor to qualify like that like it used to be an IHRA if you just made the field you were doing something and that's how it should be now you get 60 cars at these races and it's almost like an all run everyone runs it's like us uh, and it's really bad in top dragster because most of the cars in the second field of uh, PDRA top dragster, they're not real top dragsters. They're bracket cars. You know, you could put a, a good 632 in a bracket car, you know, go 420s, 430s. Well, that's not a top dragster. It's like you don't have the same problems that the guy has that's got two stages of nitrous, the guy that's got a blower on the car. He's got a real top dragster. So he should have his own class to run in that doesn't get interfered with bracket cars that just basically run the same thing every time down the track so to me those are issues that i would like to see resolved top sports top director but other than that um i feel like top sports and top director doesn't get the credit that it's due um, as far as the driver's skill goes to run these cars you're basically bracket racing at a very high level going extremely fast in a door car where it's not easy. I mean, people think it is, and then some some of the big money bracket guys have come over and run top sportsmen, and they've quickly learned that this is not easy. I mean, you could look at numbers on paper and say, oh, if I'm better than 20 and I run dead on the dial, I'll win every race I go to. Well, get in a car that goes 410 and do that. It's a different story. It's just not that easy. So I feel like the, the skill... The, uh, the knowledge, the driving ability that most of these guys have a top sportsman, it's the, it's the best class out there in drag racing. Um, and it doesn't get the, the credit that it deserves, and the drivers don't get the credit that it deserves. It, it's overshadowed by the pro classes a lot more than it should be, I think. So, uh, Jeff, if, if someone ever asked you to drive a pro mod, would you do it? Oh, in a heartbeat. <laughs> I mean, I'm driving that Pro 632 car uh, for Alan because he asked me, uh, you know, he, he, he just didn't like driving the car. And he said, would you want to drive it? I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I want to take the thing to bed and stick it under my pillow. I'm like, yeah, I want to drive it. This car is awesome. So, um, yeah, I'll take any opportunities like that to drive something fast and, and a nice, safe car for sure. Because, like I said, I really can't afford 
to go much faster than I'm doing now. So I, I really don't see myself ever running Pro Mod unless I hit the power ball or something, you know, or someone has a car they want me to run. Now, do you have any, you know, any any class of the drag racing on a bucket list that you would love to try one day? Uh, I think you just, we just touched on there. Pro Mod has always been uh, my favorite class in all of drag racing uh, when it started and all the way till now. I think Pro Mods are awesome. Uh, they're just wild and crazy and you never know what's going to happen and the unpredictability of going on the track. They're a little bit more uh, predictable these days. I think everyone's trying to get a handle on what they're doing with the uh, no one's got a clutch in them anymore. They've all got three speeds and liberties and stuff. And, they'll pretty much have traction control and EFI and things that make it easier to go on the track versus 15, 20 years ago where these cars were a handful. You didn't know if it was going straight, left or right, what was going to happen, blow up, shoot fire out of it. You didn't know what was going to go on every time you let go of it. So that's what drew me to going fast and door car racing originally was top was pro mod. And then the next best thing to me is top sportsman. So that's where we're at. No, how about tracks? Do you have any tracks on a bucket list you would love to get to one day? I'd love to race out west. Um, we've never been really out west at all. We've been to Orlando, been to Gainesville, uh, been pretty far south, but never really been west at all. Like to go to Vegas or something cool like that would always be fun. Now, you you like doing a lot of you know, long driving and all that stuff? No, I don't like doing it much. No, cause <laughs> I get I got a pretty good size, like thirty eight foot motorhome and a thirty two foot trailer, and uh, you know it's it's over length. It's seventy five feet long, and you just never know. Like it's hard to explain to people about motorhomes, but literally you just never know. Every time you pull out the driveway, you don't have a secure, good feeling that you're going to even make it to your destination because there's always something going wrong. And it isn't like I've got a piece of junk motorhome. It's, it's a decent motorhome. And there's all this way. Like, I know people with brand new stuff where they're always having an injector or a transfer pump or a hydraulic hose or an airline. I mean, it's always something that goes wrong with them. I mean, it's just like your house. There's always something to fix in your house. Well, put it on wheels. It's going to break even more. So you just never know. Every time you leave the driveway, the anxiety of like, okay, let's just say a prayer and cross our fingers and hope we make it there in one piece. Everything's good. And we have had accidents. Uh, two years ago, I was heading to um, Galat for the season opener at PDRA and heading on the turnpike in Pennsylvania, which is a horrible road, always full of construction and terrible drivers. And, um, all of a sudden, I look up, and this truck in front of me swerves out of the way, and laying right in the middle of my lane is a semi-tire and wheel mounted together. And I'm like, oh, my God. And it's like one of those real tall ones, like a double. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, I can't run this thing over. It's going to destroy underneath my motorhome, the oil pan. Who knows what it's going to do? So I'm like, i got to move out of the way. I didn't really have much room to move over, but I tried anyways because I couldn't just voluntarily hit the thing. So I swerved out of the way. A guy next to me swerved over, and his semi hit the side of my motorhome and my trailer and basically just destroyed the entire side of my trailer. So all three tires and wheels were flat on that side, and all the skin needed replaced on the whole trailer. Had to pull over, and it was just a nightmare, you know. I had to call roadside service, and I bought three new wheels and tires, and they were just destroyed me on the price on them. I think it was like $1,500 for three wheels and tires, and they were these steel, crappy wheels. And 
just so we can get to the track. We went to to, the, to go out. We're like, we're still going. Like, this isn't gonna stop us. Like, I'm not gonna hit the semi and turn around. Like, we gotta still go. So, went to the track, raced, came home, uh, got a hold of the guys at Vintage Trailers, and they said, okay, bring the trailer over. We'll reskin it, and we worked out. Okay, so I took my pickup truck and we drove across Ohio all the way into Indiana. Dropped the, the trailer off. I stopped and picked up a uh, welding table for the back of the truck at Marty Mirlat's shop, and he built me a really nice jig table. And it's in my truck. We're heading home. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Here comes a deer walking across the middle of the highway. I hit it head on going 75 miles an hour. Totaled my truck. <laughs> so the jig table that was in the bed of the truck slid forward so hard it ripped the bed of the truck in half. Wow. So... Uh, this was two hours from home, so I had to get my mom to come at like 11 o'clock at night and drive up there with my dad's pickup truck, and I had to unload this entire table by hand in the truck. And the truck was total, and just just this, this stuff we do that people don't ever think about or see or notice, the headache, the the ridiculous stories of just smashing everything you own and it's not going to stop us. We're still going to the next race. You know, like you can't stop what we're doing. It's like a drug addiction. You're just going to do it no matter what. Yes. So now how about out on the track drag racing? Have you had any close calls or accidents at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've had, uh, one mainly one that was really, I don't know how I didn't hit the guy. Um, we were in Virginia, at uh, Richmond Dragway, it wasn't at VMP, it was a different track called Richmond Dragway, for an IHRA deal, um, and it rained like crazy the night before, like Friday night, it rained, it rained, it rained, so Saturday comes, and it's a beautiful day, it's like 85 degrees and sunny, well, all the water was coming up through the cracks of the track, so we're waiting in the staging lanes, they call top sportsman lanes for the lanes for hours, and they're trying to dry the water out of these cracks. They're like vacuuming it out of the cracks with a vacuum and just water's just seeping up through the pores of the track. Well, they're like, okay, we got it pretty good. We're going to send, uh, send you guys on the track. Well, I'm like the fourth pair. So, you know, you're kind of on edge. You're like waiting to see. Well, the first pair goes down. Okay, the second pair is down. Third pair goes down. And they're checking the track. Okay, everything should be fine. We're next up. But you still, in the back of your mind, you're kind of just like, you know, is it going to be okay or not? So... You let go of the button, and my car was fine. I mean, it was perfectly stuck, straight, going perfect. But I could see in my peripheral vision, the guy in the left lane, I could see him starting to wiggle around. And I'm like, oh, boy. And he's kind of going right, and he's kind of going left. He's going right again. And I'm like, oh, boy. And I, one time, he made a pretty good move to the left. And I knew right then, I'm like, he's going to go left, and he's going to counter, counter back right, and he's going to come right across the lanes. And I locked up the brakes as hard as I could about – 400 foot in the run and he came right in front of me on two wheels and i swerved left as he went right and his willy bars went like over my window like my windshield and he hit the wall car spun around caught on fire and i must have missed him by an inch and i get down the end of the track and i'm just like shaking like holy crap what was that you know you get out of the car and i'm like waiting to see the front of my car just destroyed and there wasn't a scratch on it. I was like, what? My, I, I just couldn't believe it. I stared at it for like minutes. I'm like, I just can't believe there's nothing wrong with it. Like, I was that, I, how did I not hit him? So that was my scariest moment of uh, something happening. His car was like totaled. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing left to it. It just sat there and burned, and the front end was all smashed. It was bad. So got lucky. 
Well, knock on wood, you won't have any accidents, Jeff. Hopefully not. I mean, uh, my car now, we, we've got it to a point where it's it's soft early in the run, uh, and then we kind of bring power in down track. And the tracks that we go to, for the most part, these PDA races, it's like stuck like it's on flypaper. I mean, it doesn't wiggle, it doesn't move. It's, it's so good. The track prep they do is fantastic. That uh, barring, you know, something breaking, um, I don't really see my car having too many issues traction-wise. Anyway, we go to it. We got it really good. Now, Jeff, can you think of one most embarrassing moment you've, you've had out on the track? Embarrassing, yeah. This one's pretty easy. Um, this is last year at uh, PDRA in Maryland. First round, I had to run uh, Ken Langlois. He's a good competitor out of Michigan. We know them for years. We run them. So I get him first round, and um, he, I, I'm rolling up there. I, I don't have anybody guide me to the beams because I feel like that's unnecessary. Like I see a lot of people, you know, they put their foot up there and they, they inch the car forward. And right. It's like if you can't find the beams, you really shouldn't be driving a race car because that's what the pre-stage bulb is for, to let you know you're getting close to the stage bulb. So <laughs> just go forward until the pre-stage bulb lights and stop and then just wait and then just pull forward and stop and then let go. So I'm creeping forward and I stop the car right before I pre-stage and he pre-stages. So I, I just go to start to, to move forward. And as soon as I let my foot off the brake pedal, my pre-stage bulb comes on. And I'm like, oh. So I stop the car. And as soon as I do that, he stages the car. I'm like, okay, no big deal. So I'm like, I, in my mind, I'm like, sportsman tree. I have 10 seconds to stage the car. No big deal. So I just start bumping in. And I take little tiny nibbles because I was sitting, I think, 008 or something around before uh, in qualifying. So I'm like, you know, you chunk it in deep, you're going to go red. So I'm like, just take little tiny nibbles and stage it very shallow like I always do. Well, the problem was I was very shallowly pre-staged. So as I'm taking my little baby nibbles to move forward as I'm staging the car, my light's not coming on, not coming on, but I'm kind of counting in my head a little bit, like, okay, five, six, seven, like, I still got three seconds, I should be in any second, and boom, all of a sudden, my red light comes on, and I'm like, you better be kidding me, I got timed out, so I just putted down the track, and, uh, yeah, I was pretty upset with myself and embarrassed, because I'm like, that's an amateur, rookie, stupid thing to do, you drove all the way to Maryland, uh, to a race that I could have went to the Norwalk National event two hours from home, but I wanted to go to the PGA race, so I drove seven hours to Maryland. And this is what you do first round is you get timed out like some dummy. So, yeah, I was definitely kicking myself for that one and uh, embarrassed for sure. Wow. Yeah. And now I just shared it with you, so yeah. everybody else can know too. Now, does it that? Do you avenge your head, take a, get a lot of preparation, uh, you know, between races? No, I mean, that's what's great about it. It's amazing the technology and the uh, advancements that have come along the way with the Pro Charger, the fuel systems, and even just big block Chevys in general. I mean, we're making probably around twenty three to 2,500 horsepower, and between race, during the race, after the race, there's really nothing to do. I mean, we charge the battery, I run the valves, every 20 runs we change the oil, um, cut the filter open, it always looks perfect. Uh, and all you have to do is cool it off and fuel it and 
charge the battery and go for another round. I mean, it's literally like a bracket car, but it makes that much power and um, is very consistent. And we get a uh, hundred runs on it before we have to take the motor apart. So, you know, you go back in time 15, 20 years ago to a motor that made 2,500 horsepower, you had a whole pit crew and they're pulling the pan off that thing probably every pass, you know, changing rod bearings and who knows what. But now these days, the technology with the parts and the engine builders, uh, APD built my motor originally. Um, these guys are unbelievable with the, the technology and the R&D that they've got. Uh, they know what oil to run. They know what push rod to use. They know what to use that's going to work. And the thing's you know, not going to be any trouble going on the road. So, yeah, it's been great. So how many events did you run this year? Uh, we ran all eight PDRA races, plus we qualified for the Pro Stars race. And then um, my kids were, were, were bugging me to go racing. Uh, so we went to a local race at Dragway 42. They had like a quick 32 deal. Uh, so it's like an hour and a half from home. So me and my wife and kids went, and my dad actually had a wedding to go to that So he goes with me to every race. <laughs> well, my mom was like, no, no, you're not getting out of doing this wedding. you got to go. So he's like, well, uh, how are you going to go racing if you don't take me? And I'm like, well, I guess I'll go with my wife and the kids, and we'll figure it out. Oh, you know, he, he, he thought we're going to not even be able to do anything without him. So um, we go up there into the track, and we qualified number one, and we won the whole race. <laughs> so <laughs> I, called, I called him up, and he's like, well, how'd he go? I said, we won. He's like, won what? I'm like, the whole race. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, we won. And he goes, who helped you? I go, just me and Aaron and the kids. <laughs> and he's like, no. He's like, who backed you up? I'm like, I just backed myself up. She was sitting in the golf cart, like, just walking. Like, I just kind of just backed myself up as I did the burnout and pulled myself forward and staged it just like I was bracket racing again. He's like, that's unbelievable. I said, yeah. Give me your bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> no. You're just, just joking with him, but, uh, you know, just one of them deals where everything went your way and we get to win, so. Yeah. So now, Jeff, if anyone, you know, listens to the interview and they're kind of thinking about starting drag racing, what what kind of advice would you give that person? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Save your money and go golfing. Or, I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, drag racing is great. Um, you know, I would say have a budget in mind and figure out if you want to, where you want to race. But don't. Even if you got a bunch of money, I would say you really shouldn't start out by racing a really fast class. You kind of have to, you know, climb that ladder. You have to pay your dues. You have to get seat time uh, going a little bit slower before you could go faster and 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 be winning and be competent in the car. I've seen people before come out with a car and you know they just bought it and they got a bunch of money and they don't really do well because they didn't climb you know there's a rung on a ladder you have to climb it in order to to be successful not too many people out there can just come out of nowhere and jump into this class of top sportsmen or or higher and uh and do well right off the bat these people that do well live this stuff their whole life and they have dedicated thousands of hours to being good at it so now do you have any other hobbies outside of drag racing um, I don't really have much time anymore for hobbies. Uh, 
the kids keep me busy with sports. I try to make as many sporting events that they have as I can. They do soccer and dance and gymnastics and basketball and all this stuff. So I'm always trying to run around with the kids if I'm not working or racing. Um, I used to hunt, used to fish, but that stuff all kind of fell to the wayside when racing came along. So, yeah, I'd say racing is my my main my main uh, drug and addiction and hobby, but it's not even a hobby. It's more of a obsession or, you know, like a job, I guess, but we love it. So, so now in 2023, looking to, looking to run about the same amount of races? Yeah, 2023, um, Alan O'Brien asked me to drive the 632 car next year, so um, I think we're going to try and campaign that car a full season, so that's going to be exciting. Hopefully we can do well. Uh, we got a little bit of performance disadvantage right now over some of the other cars in the class, but hopefully we can go testing and uh, make up for, for that. We had some suspension issues that weren't quite ironed out the last race so between suspension and tuning hopefully we can pick the car up and be a very competitive car with the rest of the, the class next year and then uh, my car i'm going to take the tranny out give it to marco have him go through it and uh, charge the battery <laughs> and go to the lane so my car is pretty much ready to go we had the motor fresh in the beginning of this past season we only have i think 40 46 runs on it this year, so we should be good for next season. And, uh, yeah, just going to try and do what we did this year, just take one more step on that ladder, and maybe we can uh, compete for some race wins and then compete for a championship. And a dream situation would be we win the championship in both classes. That would be, you know, absolutely unbelievable. So, and I don't think we're that far off from either one of them. So we just got to keep digging and keep trying. Maybe someday we'll get there. Now, if people want to find out where you're going to be racing at, what's the best way for them to find out? Um, well, we run we run all the PDRA events. So if you go to a PDRA race, we'll probably be there. Uh, I don't think I missed too many of them. Um, yeah, other than that, the races we've hit outside of PDRA are here and there because it's a lot for us just to make it to the PDRA races and then everything else in life. So I don't really commit myself to running two series i don't run like all nhra division three stuff and pdra it would just be way too much you know? so definitely we'll be at the pdra events uh, you can look for us there or you can check me out on facebook um, instagram uh, tiktok i guess i have all those things and that's really the only advertising i do for my business is just social media stuff make some posts every once in a while about some stuff i'm doing and uh, i've been lucky enough to stay busy that i don't have to really spend any money advertising to stay busy so any final words no just thanks for having me on and uh hopefully everybody has a good new year and get through this winter uh you know where you're located where i'm located it seems like winter is 90 percent of the year like it just drags on here forever and just cold and yeah wet dreary and just drives me nuts so i i get seasonal depression so i like summertime i like warmth i like fireworks and race cars and swimming pools you know so we got to get back to the get back to summer so get through the holidays and stay healthy and get everything ready to go and start racing next year and pick up where we left off awesome well thanks for taking time to do the interview jeff yeah, no problem. Thanks for uh, asking me to come on. Uh, you're welcome. No problem at all. 
And I wish you the best of luck with the 2023 race season. All right, man. Thank you very much. All right, you have a great night, Jeff. You too, Dave. Bye. Bye.